Good morning, witches. This is the Witch Daily Show, coming to you from New Orleans, with host Tanya Brown. Our episodes span about 20 minutes long to give you just a little pop of magic. So, tune in, take a deep breath, and enjoy. We have a special segment today. We are talking with Diana Helmuth, who writes about the pull of travel, our desire to reconnect with nature, and our need to feel understood. Her first book, How to Suffer Outside, was a National Outdoor Book Award winner. And her second book, The Witching Year, was featured on NPR and nominated for a 2023 Goodreach Choice Award for Best Memoir. Her freelance work can be found in various anthologies, travel guides, and humor magazines. She studied anthropology and Arabic at UC Berkeley and can often be caught moonlighting in Silicon Valley's startup land or producing the occasional podcast. She was born and raised in Northern California. So hi, Diana. How are you? I am doing so well. Hi, Tonya. I'm thrilled to be on this podcast. It's actually a huge honor. So thank you. We are so excited to have you. And what's wild is like, you're not even our first Goodreads Choice Award person to be on here, which like <laughs> just hit me. And I'm like, that is a, that is so exciting. But also memoirs. I'm the biggest fan of memoirs. They're my number one mm-hmm. favorite genre to read. So I'm just so excited that you're even here. Yeah. I mean, is that memoirists in writing about witchcraft or just more broadly? Oh, broadly. I I just love learning about people's lives. Yeah, the personal stakes are real. I mean, fiction, I I mostly consume fiction. I I write almost entirely nonfiction, but it's, I like the fantasy of fiction, but there is something about, wow, this really happened to someone that grounds every single thing that takes place in the story. It gives us this little extra punch. Yeah. Yeah, my biggest example of that was uh, when by came out, and I was Love like, that "Oh, well, I was like, yeah, I was like, I clearly need to read this, obviously." However, um, Ronan Farrow's book had just come out, mm. and so I'm sitting there trying to get past the first page, trying to read, trying to read it, trying to read it, and the whole time I'm thinking, "You could be reading Ronan Farrow's book right now," <laughs> yeah. and I. <laughs> yeah, I it had to wait because I was like, I'm sorry, like nonfiction. It happened and I have to yeah. know more about it. <laughs> no, she did regram me once on Instagram. I was like, that's pretty cool. That's super cool. <laughs> but I did eventually read her book. I just couldn't resist the lure of nonfiction. Yeah, it was too well, good. thank you. As, as a writer of nonfiction, I appreciate your enthusiasm for our genre. <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> uh, so I first found out about your book uh, from a TikTok that you posted where you just kind of talked a little bit about your book, The Witching Year. And I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but the premise is that you explored kind of the realm of modern witchcraft for a year as um, almost like a like journal uh research kind of based experiment yeah that's that's a great characterization it's a it's a journalistic diary 
of me attempting to turn myself into a witch over the course of a year. Of course, witch is a very loaded, very broad word. What is a witch? You know, these these are definitions that could take up entire books into themselves. So we do focus mostly on what is considered, what I end up trying to define just for the sake of putting the book into a scope, uh, modern American mainstream witchcraft, which is basically the movements that have kind of sprouted out from Wicca, uh, but are also layered in with the more, I would say, 21st century movements where you have these these diasporic witchcrafts kind of coming up out of Latin America and Africa. Um, those are touched on in the book, but being that I am a white lady and uh, a lot of witchcraft is about connecting with your ancestry, a lot of the book does kind of come from and stick with Wicca, but there is broader acknowledgement and some explorations of these other uh, witchcraft movements that are happening in the United States. Yeah. I will say from your TikTok, uh, everything you said, like you hit some kind of summary points and I shared it on the show and uh, you just like nailed it. I was like, yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> Like she Thank got you. it. Wow. She figured it out. I was, like, she, I was like, oh yeah, that's exactly what it's like. I was like, yeah, she like she got it. So that was really neat because even, you know, the kind of difficultness and the you know uh un unclearness of it sometimes, like you really captured that. And I feel really lucky that I started my witch journey when I was very, very young mm -hmm. because I could not imagine. I could not imagine. <laughs> having to start it now where there's everything and nothing and everything matters, but nothing matters. And, um, I have to say, so my first question for you, which, um, I kind of just, I, that just hit me is I found that even someone who's been doing this a really long time, who feels decently educated in it, I even have really, really struggled to suss out the difference between new age ideas and witchcraft. And I feel like we're getting a clearer definition now as like documentaries are coming out about right. like people who are using new age uh, in a weaponized way. But what was that experience like for you kind of wading in those waters? Wow. Well, I mean, first of all, I do, I do feel that the definition between or the definition of witchcraft and new age is subjective to some people that Venn diagram is a circle and to other people, obviously they're completely distinct, but I, I don't think it's actually so obvious. I think there is a lot of overlap in concepts. I think the two have influenced each other over the decades significantly. I mean, witchcraft has this, I think the idea behind witchcraft is this idea of returning reconnection you're trying to go back to pre-colonized practices um folkloric things and finding scraps of religion and spirituality but also just very very practical day-to-day -day things like herbal remedies and little tricks for planting your garden and some people would call that witchcraft right witchcraft can involve a huge belief element or it can involve no belief whatsoever in anything supernatural. Um, New Age is like 
so much more slippery. And it almost feels at this point, I don't want to say it's a slur, but it doesn't feel like a compliment to call anything new age. But, you know, the, the concept of the law of attraction is something that I feel like I saw in a significant number of Wiccan and witchcraft books that were written in the 90s that, of course, is sort of a new age darling philosophy. Um, so I think I just kind of accepted a lot of it was there. And right as you said, the rest of this podcast could just be a documentary about how these two movements have influenced each other. But I think when you, a lot of witchcraft, I think post-1960s in the West has been about women reclaiming power and or marginalized groups acclaiming, uh, reclaiming power in general. And anything that seeks to help you do that with what you have laying around your house, I think can often get lumped in with new age, which is a lot about breathing and letting go of these nebulous toxicity things. And if I think this way, then these wonderful things will just start happening and alternative remedies and alternative modes of healing. I mean, it all, it all, I don't know. There is a lot of overlap to me. I, mean, I just, I just, I, I, I think I, it would depend on the specific issue. I think whether I would call that witchcraft or new age or both <laughs> feels like a very roundabout response, but yeah. No, but I mean, that's exactly what, what that's it. I mean, that's exactly it. That's, it. that's exactly kind of how it can be um, confusing. And, and uh, you know, one, one of the things that I talk about a lot on the show, and so, so, I mean, sometimes rant about, depends on who you ask, is uh, how important it is to research and how important it is to learn and how important it is to look up these phrases and see where they stem from. Are they actual philosophies or is it something, uh, you know, a guru made up to sell courses, you know, and, um, it, it's, it's hard. It's hard. Even for people who have been doing it a really long time, it's hard to suss these things out. And, um, that's kind of one of my big things where I'm like, oh, it, it feels like that is a a difficult part of exploring witchcraft right now. I think I somewhere heard a joke and I wish I could remember where, and I'm afraid I'm going to butcher it, but that new age ideas were basically witchcraft ideas just with great big price tags on them. And I chuckled at that. I think there might be a little bit of truth to that because I think there is something a little bit capitalistic about New Age. It's always something that's being sold to you. And the thing I do love about witchcraft is that it's really free. It's so free. The whole point is it's this it's this kind of dirty grifter hippie of a spirituality that really <laughs> doesn't want your money. And it just is... It's trying to help you talk to a tree. You know, there's an innocence to it. There's a there's a, there's an integrity to it that even when witches disagree with each other, I feel like this is a common thread. It's very anti-capitalist. It's very it's it's very for the common man. You know, um, I, I I love that about it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I completely agree. And even when you were defining witchcraft about like this kind of old knowledge we're seeking. I think that is kind of a good distinction. Not that either of us yeah. are like in the, you know, in the department of like, we need History, to define yeah. these things. Yeah. But you're um, not Ronald Hutton. I thought you, I thought this was an interview with Ronald. <laughs> Hutton. I wasn't aware. 
Uh, but I like how you said about how witchcraft is trying to kind of discover these ancient uh, practices and ideas. Whereas I feel like New Age um, is the kind of create, almost like the creation of ideas where we have mm. twin flames, which is a relatively new term. We have, you know, these, um, it's terms that are new, <laughs> you know, uh, whereas witchcraft maybe feels like, you know, sometimes repackaged, but more like things that are older. But I mean, I could, I could, I could talk, I could, I could write a whole thing about yeah. that. Right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> See, I just find anyone who will uh, who will engage with me in these in these thought processes. Well, no, I mean, we spend a lot of time. I mean, the number of emails I have back and forth with my editor and my agent in the proposal of this book, where we were like, "Okay, what is witchcraft again, though? And how do we know you're not just going to fall into a whirlpool of new age, you know, BS, basically?" And I was like, "Well." I'm just going to try real hard, but we don't because those boundaries aren't real. Uh, so we're just going to do the best we can. And, and it, yeah, I, I think it's important to just talk about it. There is a lot of overlap. It's not necessarily a bad thing. It just is, you know. But, yeah. yeah. So you began this uh, journey uh, at the peak of the pandemic, which, oh, I mean, you know, <laughs> we were all making bread and uh, you were – trying to get a witchcraft and I I love that for you like that, that was a great way that was a great way to spend to spend isolation but how has things changed now that like the pandemic is over like it, you know you started it during the pandemic when things were uh, uh, maybe a little upside down and there was isolation but now that the world is starting to shift back like how has your practice changed at all that's a that's a great question. I mean, I I, I do want to say f first. I think when when I was proposing this book, it was I think mid twenty twenty one, and we were all like, oh well, COVID's about to be over. Like we had no idea that Omicron was coming and Delta was coming. We we didn't know that it was truly going to be a whole another year. Um, even though we were in a post-vaccine world, that a post-vaccine world did not in fact mean a post-COVID world. So I, what ended up happening is I was, because of COVID, I was forced inside with my books, um, which I think is interesting because I think that's actually how most witches do, I think, tackle their own practice. It's just not very glamorous. So we never really see it. I, I think if it wasn't for COVID, I would have visited more conventions. I would have been to more covens. I would have traveled much more. I would have had more experiences that would have been more sensational to write about. And I mean, to be fair, in the latter half of the book, when things start opening up, I go to Salem, I go to Stonehenge, I go to Scotland. I mean, there there is travel in the book and that was so exciting and so impactful. And I'm really glad I got to have those experiences. Um, but I, I, I think... I kind of think about Witches of America, the book by Alex Marr, which I know was not well received by lots of witches. But I think because of COVID, I couldn't do that. I couldn't go out and just write about all these things I was seeing, all these shocking ceremonies and all of these bizarre wizards. You know, I, I was actually forced to go inward harder than I had originally intended. Um, 
I always wanted to write something that was vulnerable. That that was the goal. I didn't want to be a voyeur. I wanted the reader to feel that there were very real personal stakes here, and there were, but I think COVID ended up highlighting it. And I remember being scared, like, I'm writing a book about a girl in a room reading books. Is this really going to be that exciting? And it was, it was, it was a fear of mine. And then, you know, we got the NPR segment and the Goodreads nomination. And I was like, oh, maybe it is interesting, which is when I realized I have heard from a lot of witches, this is what it's like. You are just sitting there with a book, arguing with yourself, going, what? And it's it's sort of validating to see someone else go through that. Not, not that I think my journey looks the same as someone else's. A spiritual journey is, of course, a very personal and unique thing. But that was one of the nicest things I have heard. Um, Post-COVID, I mean, I still hate Zoom coven meetings. I, I couldn't do them during COVID. I can't do them now. I mean, I, I support anyone who's who's doing them. That's great. You know, you got to do what you got to do uh, to keep your coven together. But I just, I could never get into it. And I still frankly cannot stand them. Um, I appreciate that there is more of an ability now to just practice in person because I, I really do kind of believe in that in-person exchange of energy. That's something really critical to me. I have a Lauren, who's one of the my witch mentors in the book, she kind of makes fun of me for it. She's like, why are you so obsessed with this? I'm like, I like collective effervescence. I don't know. I think it's real. I think there's like a group spirit that floats over us and it does stuff. Leave me alone. You're a witch too. Why are you making fun of me? Um, but yeah. Does that, I feel like I'm rambling a little bit. Does that answer your question? Yeah. And honestly, I feel like that is a very, yeah, that is very realistic. I mean, I think there's this idea that, or this, not misconception, but this fantasy of like, I'll go and I'll meet witches and they'll be witching and it'll be, it'll be this magical ex- uh, experience. But I think for a majority of us, it all uh-huh. started with some books in your bedroom, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah. A hundred percent. And that's, that's, that's what I did. Narrowing down those books, of course, was a whole other process, but yeah, that's, 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 uh, there's a, <laughs> There's a quote about Zen Buddhism, I forget who said it, that said Zen is not some kind of excitement, it is concentration on our usual everyday routine. And I feel like there's a witchcraft version of that that's something like witchcraft is not some kind of excitement, it is concentration on reading a lot of books by people who have found a goddess statue in a cave. And then you're just trying to figure out what that means for you. No, exactly. Exactly. Like, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like you're just trying to figure out what that means for you. And that's so true. Like you read these books and you sentence per sentence, like, oh, I like that or "Eh, not for me or, you know, and like something you mentioned in your book is that you feel a bit detached from the wheel of the year. And I actually tend to as well. So I'm kind of curious about, uh, why you think that is and if that outlook has changed and did you do anything for you? That's a great, that is a great question. My outlook actually on that has shifted a lot post book. I, I think the wheel of the year can get a little bit exhausting. And I mean, of course I'm, I'm, I'm trying to be this, this very good a plus witch and I'm trying to get all my gold stars and I'm trying to really show that I did a sincere effort. And there's like, a holiday every six freaking weeks. And that's before you get into the full moons. And I'm just like, I don't have time for this much ceremony. Like this is exhausting. You know, I, I, I am not a, 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 a priest. Uh, this is, this is a lot <laughs> to keep track of. Um, 
it and sometimes it wasn't I think the meanings of the holiday started to get lost on me. It was like every six weeks you have to have this intense catharsis. And I was like, okay, I, I'm i still kind of reeling from the last one. Can we not? It's like, no, because now it's Litha, so you got to. I'm like, oh, okay, all right. Um, and, of course, I experienced a um, in the book there's a little death that happens around Litha. So Litha is like yay, dance with the fairies in a circle. It's the longest night of the year, summer solstice, da-da-da. And I'm like grieving. I'm like, I don't feel connected right now. And of course you can spin anything so that it all, you know, relates. But I, there, there was kind of, I say this with some, with some tongue-in-cheek energy, but yeah, basically the constant catharsis demanded by the wheel of the year I found to be exhausting. Uh, with that said, I think this was a pressure I was putting on myself. And since the book has ended, um, my my thinking on it has shifted. I think the holidays are there to help connect us to the cycles of the earth, which are happening whether we pay attention to them or not, right? And I think when you're a pre-industrial farmer in Northern Europe, what the earth is doing is not something you need to pay attention to. It's something you need to prepare for with life and death consequences. Um, when you're a middle-class American living mostly indoors with like international produce shipping routes designed to give you bananas and tomatoes at any time of year for $2. Um, I think, I think there's a different, there's a different need. Um, but I think that's actually exactly why so many witchcraft writings are about returning and reconnecting and rediscovering. We, we crave this connection to the seasons precisely because the wheel of the year is optional. I think for its optionality, it becomes more important. Like, I think if you're drawn to witchcraft, you're drawn to this sensation to uncover this wisdom that some part of you is craving. And it's very difficult to articulate. And I spent a whole book trying to articulate it. And I still feel like I have trouble. But I, I think... I think when you're more in tune with the seasons, you do simply feel better. I think that's just the simplest way to put it. I, I do. I won't speak for other people. I, I do. But I have a feeling whew, that's true for most witches. Asterisk, asterisk. Never tell witches how they feel about anything. That's a, that's a big sin. Um, you're more reflective. You you. It means you're paying attention. It means you are in tune with the earth, which I personally do believe is a deity. And and you get the benefits of being in tune, which are subtle, but very real. So I, yeah, my whole attitude towards the wheel of the year has completely shifted. And now I see it as more like an opportunity in my functional spaceship of a life to come back and be invited to connect with, you know, the God being that I live upon, which is the earth. <laughs> and, um, yeah, so my outlook has shifted quite a bit. I, I think I just let the idea go that I have to throw this like twelve-part ceremony for every single uh, spoke on the wheel of the year. I just, I just sort of let that go. The Thorn Mooney writes about that very beautifully in the Witch's Past. She has a lot of jokes about it. And um, what did I do for Yule? I had COVID, so I laid oh. on the couch and I made soup and. Um, I actually did get very emotional around COVID though, because I had a tremendously tough year in 2023. It was actually one of the toughest years of my life. And I just did a little bit of writing and a little bit of 
candle work and reflection and meditation around the idea that, you know, there's so many beautiful mysteries in witchcraft, but the one I like about Yule is that it is the date of astronomical winter. So winter officially starts. However, it is also the day when the light starts to come back. And I think there's a really, I think that's actually kind of a beautiful mystery. And I use mystery in like the, the really esoteric sense of the word, right? You know, the, the minute everything is just about to get officially hard, we're finally slapping a label on it. Oh, but uh, the day's getting longer. Oh, it's like there's still this little glimmer, you know? And I was really clinging to that idea of, the wheel is turning and the light is coming back and I'm not going to be sick forever and things aren't going to be hard forever and it's going to be okay. This is an inevitable process. I just need to be patient. It's all coming. The light is coming. And it was like really some medicine I actually needed. And I just enjoyed sitting in it, drinking it, meditating on it. Like it was like I was in a bath. It was, it was great. So yeah, um, T Temperance Alden also in her book, The Year of the Witch, she writes about this very, very, very beautifully about how to kind of move beyond these prescribed rituals, which are very fun and very beautiful that are written about in like Buckland's book or Scott Cunningham's books, um, and instead creating a more intuitive practice. I, I think that book is a super valuable read for for any modern witch of any practice. I really do. Yeah. Yeah, I agree completely. I think that is a very um, natural evolution. You know, I think when you start out, you're like, oh, here are the holidays. And you're like, oh, these are the ancient holidays. And then you realize, oh, these were just things people made up to represent the seasons. Like, it's not necessarily one day or if you don't do it on right. this one day. Um, and I think when you start out, you have this, like, fantasy of throwing these beautiful solstices and these, I mean. It really did. <laughs> Yeah, these gorgeous things. And you're like, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And actually, as you were talking, I was thinking about that. I was like, you know, this fantasy of what you'll do every day aligned with the wheel of the year. And I actually got like trad wife vibes. Where oh, I'm man. like, is is following the wheel of the year so intensely like the witch version of like the trad wife? Like you think you're going to be this perfect making – homemade crackers for your children every morning like you just have this I fantasy I know? see what you mean yeah no no I don't the, the trad witch I mean well except that's already the sort of a thing witch. no 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 I see what you mean I see what you mean I do yeah yeah is this the trad wife version yeah and then you eventually realize oh it's just about it's not about the day it's about the season and um it's not about the ritual it's about our natural practices as the you know earth moves and turns and finding yeah. beauty in those small things but yeah i would say that's a really real like that's how my journey with it went it went from this high pressure that it has to be the this perfect thing and then eventually you're like no it can just be me appreciating the season and having some reverence for what people, for how dire uh, weather used to be for people, you know, and how yeah. lucky we are that we aren't um, having to do that now, you know? We really are. I mean, I know, I know people like to talk about how hard things are right now and they are, and there's a lot of problems we need to be awake and paying attention to and fighting. But like, sometimes I'm just like, you know what I love? Ibuprofen this rules like this is just there I can just not be in pain all the like 
this is pretty cool. I'm a woman with a checking account. Okay. I am a royal. This is this is really intense. It's, it's, people didn't used to live like this. You know, it's 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 a cool time to be alive in a lot of ways. So there's a part where you're describing moving and like moving to a new area, and you speak a little bit about um connecting with the new area in like a magical way. So can you share a little bit about that? Uh, what that journey was like? Cause I know we get a lot of questions about people who write in about how to like connect with a location. Yeah. I mean, I think, um, also again, Temperance Alden's book and also Lorraine Montague's book, uh, Bruja's The Magic and Power of Witches of Color, which is a great book, whether or not you are a Bruja or a Witch of Color. I, it was one of my favorite books of the whole year, and I am extremely white. I'm like 100% colonizer. Um, but it is, <laughs> it, it's such a beautiful book, and she has so many great writings about this. I think yeah. um, I am a fan the of- show, actually. Oh, you did? Oh, yeah. yeah. She's, she's so great. She's like the best. I, I'm kind of obsessed with her. Um, I am a fan of the land spirits idea. There, There is um, there is a scene in the book where I follow one of, I think it's Temperance Alden's exercises in uh, the year of the witch. And I go into my backyard and try and find the primary land spirit. And it's, I thought it was going to be dumb and it was so fun. And it was actually one of the coolest things I did the whole year. And it's, it's so much more, I think, uh, the, the thing I love about witchcraft is that it seems so complex and then you do it and you're like, oh, that's very simple. And then you're like, well, it's really simple. It can't be that important. And then you're like, no, it's really simple. And that's why it's amazing. Like that's the the final, you know, the meme where the guy's head is exploding with like the, the reality <laughs> of the universe or whatever. Um, the simplicity is the beauty. But I think... I, I am a fan of Lillian Spirit's concept that is present in a lot of forms of witchcraft. And my personal experience with witchcraft left me as a little bit of an animist. Um, I think, I don't know. I mean, in a way, there's still this part of me that's like, I'm just still playing tricks on myself. This whole thing is in my imagination. It's in my head. But my something my sister Dracol always says, which I love, is, well, everything is in my head. So... You know, the, all of reality is in my head. Of course, this is in my head, too. It's a nice reframing. Uh, whenever I live somewhere new, and I did move in 2023, I like to go into the space and just be like, hi. I'd really like to be your friend. So if you can just let me know what you need. Like, I'm here to caretake you. So you will caretake me. This is symbiotic. Um and I think that attitude towards the land is also a really beneficial one. It reduces exploitation. And this is that on just an incredibly small, super low stakes scale, because it's just me, the individual. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's, I guess it's as simple as that. I, I like the peppermint oil ritual, although I kind of did stop doing that because I found out peppermint oil is extremely toxic to cats. And I actually have two cats, so I don't drench a new home in peppermint oil anymore. Not the interior. Anyway, you could do the exterior. Maybe I'm being overly cautious, but I thought, you know, there's other things you can do. So I'm just going to skip this one. Salt water seems to be fine. Um, and of course, those things, salt water, peppermint, um, the burning of herbs all also have more practical uh 
uses in terms of like getting bugs out of the walls and just getting little critters who may have nested in the house while it's been empty, just sort of scooting them out. So it's not just all in your head. There are also some tangible benefits, whether or not you believe you're talking to a spirit. Um, but I think ultimately it just makes you feel a little safer and more connected and grounded wherever you are. And again, this could be 100% in my imagination. Uh, but I think a huge part of my personal journey into trying to be more comfortable with witchcraft is that, yeah, probably a lot of things are. Can you live with that discomfort? Are you, are you, can you, can you handle that? You're not insane, but can you handle this tiny little thing that some, some people would use to call you delusional? And that's step one for standing up for yourself, which is step one to being a witch, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, uh, something I think about often is like, you know, when we die, <laughs> we're, we're not going to be handed a list of everything we were right about, or everything we were wrong about. So you just need to choose whether you're going to believe or not believe. And I think believing is a lot more fun. You know, I love that. Yeah. It's, it's like optimistic nihilism in, in <laughs> a little bit. It's like, maybe none of this matters. But like, have fun with it. Why not? You know, um, why not? <laughs> why not? <laughs> um, but I, yeah, I agree. I think you're right when it comes to kind of like connecting with spirits of a place. It really is very simple. Uh, I've done the same thing where I, you know, moved into a new space and I uh, poured a little coffee and rum in the backyard and I'm like, hey, Whoever's out here, I'm cool with you. You're cool with me. Watch out for us. I'll watch out for you. And there have definitely been instances where, like, things should have gone really bad, and then they just didn't. Um, and I like to think it's because of the little spirits who agreed to watch out for me, you know? Yeah. Um, and another I like thing I think is – oh, Yeah. No, I, I was just going to say, I like that attitude of, you're cool, I'm cool. I'm cool, you're cool, we're cool. I'm not better than you, you're not better than me, though. <laughs> yeah. I'm cool, you're cool. And I can bring you rum and coffee, so, you know, think yeah. about it. But anyway, go on. We are a team here. and We're a team, yeah. <laughs> yes, teamwork. Uh, another thing that I think is really simple, and this is something I did for a really long time, and I genuinely think my space felt the best, was every morning I would put like five minutes aside or 10 minutes aside or whatever. And I would go into each room and I would just kind of stand in that room and be like, what does this room need? And sometimes it's changing the light bulb or maybe you do realize you need to replace the cracking switch plate or, but like just kind of giving each room that like attention, I felt the energy yeah. was just so good. I love that. That's a beautiful practice. Yeah. So your partner seems very accepting of your magical practice. So <laughs> <laughs> what advice would you give to those starting out who might feel a little unsure or uncomfortable kind of sharing their spirituality with their partner? Yeah. Um, I actually just saw this on Instagram last night, but it's, it's, it's a more beautiful summation than I think I could come up with. It's from um, Healing Out Loud, the, the kind of one of those meme pages. But the quote was, any relationship you have 
that could get ruined by having a conversation about your feelings, standards, and or expectations wasn't really stable enough to begin with. And I think that applies to religion and spirituality. Um, Obviously, you don't have to be the same religion as your partner. I think it helps to have the same beliefs uh, at base level. But I think atheists and witches tend to be quite friendly with each other because there's a lot of common ground. So uh, in the book, Justin is, uh, he's a staunch atheist who, who has this affinity for pagan culture. Um, and I have another friend in the book, uh, Melody, who is a staunch, staunch, like kind of one of those atheists, you know, who, if you looked at her, you would think she was a witch and she confesses. She says, I love the witch aesthetic, but I think the whole thing is baloney and malarkey and you're delusional. Um, but I think witches and atheists have this common ground of they they reject any religion that is trying to tell them what to believe or what to do. They see that as dangerous and toxic. And I think that shared philosophy makes them friends. So I, I think that's why Justin didn't really have a problem with it. He was like, you're still f- sticking it to the man. That's cool. Okay. Like whatever. Um, you know, I think he thought it was sort of charming. Um, I think a lot of, in, in many ways, I, I wanted this book to be a little bit of a bridge between atheists and witches. Like we're not so different. You and I, have you considered that, you know, you don't need to be so scared of everything. Like we're, we're not asking you to, change your entire life based on astrology. Just like think about the earth sometimes. They're like, there's something here. There might be something here for you. What are you so scared of? What are you actually so scared of? Does that question scare you? Great. Even better. You know, that's me getting a little um, evangelist possibly. But I, I think, I think if you're scared to talk about this with your partner, as someone who is not a relationship coach and should probably be giving no one relationship advice, my advice is <laughs> um, if that's going to kill your relationship, your relationship is already dead. You know? Um, I, I, yeah. It, it's it, and, and I get it. Sometimes you don't want to say the things out loud that you know will kill your relationship because you're comfortable and you don't want to rock the boat. And you have changed trauma and, you know, it, it doesn't mean you're weak. It, it's just, that's, that's a really going on a spiritual journey is an absolutely terrifying thing to do because it changes the foundation of who you are. And that very likely could change how you relate to people, including the most important people in your life. It's terrifying. Um, so I was grateful he was supportive and I continued to be surprised he was supportive you know, and would poke fun at him about it sometimes. Like, I, I think you're just doing this vicariously through me because he would be the one who was buying me wands and he would be the one who suggests this and that. And I'm like, well, you just like, it's, it's like having a friend who's on a horrible diet and they keep trying to feed you ice cream. And you're like, will you stop trying, just stop, stop trying to live vicariously through me, embrace your own spirituality. But that's, that's his journey, not mine. Honestly, I, I completely agree. <laughs> I'm like, I'm definitely that friend who is like, really, you can't just talk about it. Like, really, you can't like, like what kind, you know, I, I mean, I, I'm a believer relationships, you should be able to share yourself, you know, and your thoughts and curiosities and vulnerabilities. And um, it makes me nervous, I think, when someone is afraid to share things like that with their partner, you know, 
Yeah. Um, for exactly what you said. But I also like how you mentioned how witches and atheists are similar because I feel that so hard. Like, yeah. I genuinely believe I'm a witch because I just have, like, an insatiable thirst for knowledge and exploration. Uh, but I feel I, – I feel that. I – yeah, I think witches and atheists are quite similar, actually. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think there's a reason a lot of them are, are, are friends. There's a lot of, they are trying to reach the same spot on the mountain. They just take slightly different paths, but like, it, it, yeah, there's a lot of common philosophical underpinning there. Yeah, com yeah, completely agree. Uh, so there's a part in your book where you talk about trying to connect with your Portuguese ancestry and found <laughs> it difficult. So uh, for people who don't have ancestry in the UK, which is, you know, where um, a lot of Wicca specifically stems, do you have any advice for connecting to magical practices uh, not in the U or in Europe uh, who might yeah. just not know where to begin? Well, I think, and, and there, there's there's a, a friend of mine, Madeline, who I interview in the book, who is um, Haitian, and she, we have a whole discussion about how I think it must just be so easy for her to find her magical roots because her practices are alive. They're not dead. They're not reconstructed. And she expresses that she has had extraordinary difficulty actually getting in touch with um, Haitian voodoo practices in the United States. And, you know, because she's also queer, there's a lot of the things that she feels are unsafe for her to go explore in person in Haiti. And anyways, it's a, a fascinating conversation in my opinion, uh, just to completely do my own work. But I think, I think looking into practitioners who have studied and are trying to revive practices that you know are from your ancestry is the best path. And and they're out there. They didn't used to be, you know, but it's not 1990. I mean, they were always out there, but we weren't giving them a microphone. But the nice thing is it's not 1995 anymore. Um, you have people like Juliet Diaz who have these massive followings. Um, th there's I love the Brujeria movement and the African diasporic magic movements that are coming up in the United States. And I think it can take a while to discover them. Uh, but you can search around on Reddit or in bookstores or at coven meetings or on TikTok and Instagram, and you can find the voices, you know. Uh, I, I, I think witchcraft is becoming more mainstream. And I personally think this is a very, very, very good thing because it means more people are going to discover it. It's as simple as that. And because of social media and because of progressive politics, I think more publishers are giving voice to witches who would have in, in the past be considered too fringe or too silly or just, you know, just frankly not white. It's just, I, I think there's obviously a ways to go, but we're getting a lot better and more witches of color are basically just being given microphones to share their research and to share their practices and to make sure that these things aren't going to die. It can be hard to find them. And I, Wish I could tell you how to easily find something, but I think the key is tenacity and just keep asking questions. Um, with the, I mean, this is a little bit of a tangent, but there's a catch with ancestry in that I think it's far more complicated and slippery than a lot of people think it is. I mean, I, for example, I, I am white, right? But um, when I first did 23andMe, 
to figure out what kind of white. Um, they told me I was 12% Sardinian specifically. And I was like, what? And I call my mom and I call my sisters and I'm like, they're like, what? You know, we, we don't know a lot. You know, I, I am the descendant of European settlers and colonizers and pioneers and they never kept much history. And I, this is what I think I know, but there's very few stories and 23 and me mostly corroborated what I thought I knew, but there were some surprises. There continue to be some surprises. And one of the surprises was your Sardinian. And so here I am, I am looking up Sardinian magic. I'm looking up Sardinian ancient cults. I'm, I'm about to drop two grand on like a spiritual pilgrimage to <laughs> Sardinia. I'm like, I can feel the witches of the past in my blood singing, yearning for me to connect with my, and then I logged back into 23andMe like two months later and it was all gone. They moved all of my Sardinian points and put them in Portugal. Uh, which which I knew I was. It's actually the only part of my ancestry I'm 100% sure of because my great-grandmother had the words native of Madeira stamped on her tombstone. Thank you. That's like the only way anyone knows. She's like, I just, to be crystal clear, this is where I'm from, you know. Um, so I'm not Sardinian at all. And I realized how close I was to just following this call I thought I had in my blood that didn't exist. And I think the the takeaway from that is that we like to have ideas and dreams about who our ancestors were and are, but the truth is we just won't know. And 23andMe will never tell you what your ancestors believed or how they prayed or if they were witches or not. And I don't think it's wrong to believe that your ancestors were one way or another. But I think when we get very tribal about where we come from, I think we should examine why we're feeling that way. Like if that's to fight oppression and if that's to fight cultural erasure, that's one thing. But if you're like me and I was so excited to be Sardinian for what reason, I don't even know. I think it just felt exotic and then it got taken away from me and I was <laughs> caught staring in a mirror like, well, that was a bit silly. Uh, whew. Okay. I love the passion, though. Yeah. <laughs> I was so excited. You have no idea. It was so exciting. <laughs> but I, I agree. I think we focus way too much on DNA when we're supposed to be focusing on culture. Yeah. It, it's um, social issues. It's not DNA. It's social issues. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. I'm like 40% I'm like Swedish, and I have absolutely no interest, culture, understanding, knowledge. I'm much more culturally, you know, New Orleanian and much more culturally French um, and Southern. Like, that's my culture. That's what I know. That's how I was raised is, you know, um, whereas I know absolute. And, you know, so, yeah, I'm a big believer that it's culture and experience and love and food and uh those things that make us us and uh dna even though again i love i love that you felt the witches in your blood of sardinia <laughs> i really so did <laughs> and they it's weren't so there sweet. man they didn't exist <laughs> they did i mean this is also like when i when i 
when I opened the 23andMe report, I, I felt like a gambler in a hall in Las Vegas shaking some dice. I was like, come on, Ireland. Come on, come on, come on. And it was zero. Zero <laughs> percent Irish. And I was like, damn it. Because the Irish are so cool. And they're they're just all over Wicca and, you know, modern white American magic. It's all... It's all ancient Irish stuff. And I was like, not even a drop, like not even. Okay, no, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not mad about it. It's fine. It's fine. It's not totally cool. It's fine. Mm. That's yeah. Yeah. So, oh, I completely, I completely agree with you. <laughs> oh my yeah. gosh. Um, so, you know, your whole book is really, it's a book on fumbling essentially through <laughs> which I love. We need to show that more fumbling through witchcraft. But now that you've kind of have extended past that and you're past that experience and you've shared, you know, a few thoughts and ideas have changed since the book. What do you find you're fumbling with now? Oh, um, upkeeping a regular practice now that no one's watching me now that I'm not having to report everything in a in a diary that I know will become public. Um, who, who are you when no one's watching, you know, uh, who, what kind of witch am I when I'm not trying to be one? Um, definitely do less. And sometimes I feel bad about that. And I do think that is actually the perk of a coven. There's, there's a lot of, you know, sharing of energy, but there's also something to be said for accountability. You have to turn up. You know, we're all kind of expecting you to turn up and and we want you to turn up. And even if you don't really feel like it, you know, it's going to be good for you. So you go. Um, I think. I think I have probably gotten lax in some areas, basically, that I just wish I would stay a little bit more dedicated to. I haven't dropped everything. I still meditate. I still do Wheel of the Year celebrations, but they're almost entirely private. I still read. I still research. It's just not with the same fervor. I, I think <sighs> I, I, I find myself in a weird position where sometimes I think people, because I have written this book, think I'm speaking for witchcraft and they're a bit upset at me about it because I just showed up. And that's fair. Um, to that, I say, I'm not, I'm not trying to speak for witchcraft. I'm really, really not. The point of this book, the joke of this book is that I didn't know what I was doing. It's not that I was an expert or even pretending to be one. I tried to present and contextualize histories, but that's mostly just me quoting a lot of other people. It's not a lot of fresh research. I am not a historian and I don't pretend to be one. Um, but I am occasionally getting messages from strangers asking me to help them with magical tasks. And I have to very politely be like, I can't do that. I can't help your husband come back. I'm sorry. I can't, um, I, I can't, I can't do this ritual for you. I can't do this, that, or the other thing I, you know, uh, and I feel a bit weak, but I think telling them I could would feel like grifting. So I don't, I, I do find myself randomly with people in my personal life. If something happens, I'm like, oh, I'll light a candle for you. Do I still know what I mean? Barely. Do I do it anyway? I absolutely do with great sincerity. And I still feel like I don't know what I'm doing. And I think 
I think I think what I've really learned is that it's not that I'm never going to feel like I know what I'm doing. It's just that um, I have to learn to have that little voice accompany me on every little journey. And I have to feed it little snacks and like a little goblin. And then mostly it will leave me alone and then I can just sort of go about my work. That's, <laughs> but I've just accepted it's probably never going to go away. Actually, yeah. And, I, you know, I would actually be worried if it went away. You know, if if you felt like you had perfected right, like, it. Is that when you become fully delusional is when that voice yes. goes away? Maybe we yes. do need that goblin. I do. Yes. We do. We need the part of us that thinks, oh, am I? Because, you know, it's that saying that, like, the moment you think you know everything, you really know nothing. And I right. I believe in that whole wholeheartedly. Um, I also agree with you. I always with the people who reach out for spell work, like I know people who do that and they do it with like their whole heart and they really help people. But I really struggle with the idea that someone's paying me for something I can't guarantee will be delivered. Yeah. And that's hard for me just as a yeah. person, I think. Well, and I, I just don't feel qualify. I know some people yeah. <laughs> who, who would take small, small payment, you know, um, to, to do a spell for you with no guarantee of the outcome. That's great. They can do that. They've been doing that for 30 years. That's not me. That's, that's, I'm woefully underqualified for that kind of work. Same, same, not, not for me. And, um, yeah, I'm also kind I also feel like I sometimes have that mean friend energy, like, listen, he's not coming back. Okay, <laughs> you need I to know. move well, on. Yeah, like when when someone did ask me, "Will you make a you know do a spell to help my husband come back?" I wanted to be like, "Bitch, why?" And then I was like, "That's not the energy she needs. This is a sad person. Um, this is a sad person. They don't need a mean person to make them less sad. That's not how it works. That's not how that no. Works. And they probably have plenty of that too uh, already. Right. Well, the husband sounds mean, so you know, yeah. <laughs> The husband sounds mean. He probably is. <laughs> uh, so you already said that like that accountability factor was really important for you in like keeping up with your practice, which I think literally everyone listening 100% you know relates to that. There's this there's this pressure. There's a pressure to do witchcraft cor- quote unquote correctly. correctly. And we get yeah. down on ourselves and we have to remind ourselves like the people posting the beautiful ritual photos or perfect tea ceremony pictures on Instagram. Like they probably did it once for the pick and like, they're not doing it every day. Like you don't need to feel that pressure and you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to be aesthetic. Um, and so, uh, especially when it comes to day to day, you know, when you're not being held accountable because you're writing about it and you're have and you're trying to incorporate it into just, life, mm-hmm. um, it can get really hard. So I know that's how writing has really helped you, <laughs> but, um, how would you say the reflection on the journey has helped you? And, and do you have an, I'm kind of a different question, but do you have any advice for, uh, writers in general? Um, well, huh. Really quick, though, I actually want to touch on what you just said while I think about 
advice for writers. Oh God. Um, I, I do think there's something kind of unique to which modern witchcraft culture, because so much of it is spread out over the internet because it very much is like an individual spirituality of the masses. It is designed to be spread over the internet. Like it's just perfect for it. And, um, a lot of the photos and things that you see on the internet are might have just been taken one time, and we get this idea that this is what witchcraft looks like. And I, I am not a crafter um, at all, uh -uh. and so for a long time I felt like witchcraft was not for me because I'm simply not crafty enough. Um, so I think it's especially important because so much of witchcraft exists online in a visual medium, and we know that everything we see online is not real life. A lot of it is staged. Not that these people are, are faking their practice. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just talking about literally images and image envy that social scientists have studied that we get when we scroll Instagram. <laughs> and I think it's good to keep it top of mind that like your witchcraft is valid, even if you can't, you know, craft anything your witchcraft is valid even if you can't crochet or you don't have a bunch of money to spend on these grand beautiful altars to a season it's it's fine it's fine that's instagram remember instagram is not real life and that includes witchcraft it's okay so anyway um that's my spiel on that but um <laughs> I, I, I did, you know, when I was writing the book, I did get mired in doubt and I did get mired in, in, in excess of information. And again, a huge, a huge difficulty in this book was winnowing down who I'm going to read and listen to and why. And I don't pretend that's correct, but it's something that had to be done just because of the cacophony of voices out there. Um, we, I, I tried to go for making it a popularity contest. Uh, since I'm trying to explore mainstream witchcraft, let's see who the biggest, who's making the biggest splashes, you know? And that's hardly scientific. It's just like, I literally couldn't think of a better criteria based on this little experiment I was trying to do. Um, with that said, because there was so much information, everything could have a counter argument. And, and I do think... I say this with great caution. There is such a thing as too much introspection. And I think I am probably guilty of it <laughs> on occasion. Um, you can talk yourself out of anything. Uh, and letting in too much what if and what about energy can, can ruin something. I mean, it, it's important to question things. It's important to remain critical, especially in a spirituality where there are no masters. Um but it's also important to learn when that voice is no longer serving you or you're using it to you're using it as an excuse to protect your ego from engaging in something that it fears will make other people think you are stupid. Um, like there are real dangers out there in the witchcraft space, right? There really, really, really are. Um, but sometimes I think that voice that's trying to protect us, it, it doesn't always fire correctly 100% of the time. Um, sometimes it does, and that's great. Uh, and and hooray, you didn't go hang out with white supremacists today. That's wonderful. Good job. Thank <laughs> oh my you. Gosh. Little protective voice, right? And then sometimes it's like, well, why do you think that's dumb? Let's examine that for a second. And maybe that voice, which is just trying to protect you, but maybe it's 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 it doesn't need to be here right now um so i think in a lot of my writing there was a lot of that 
And a lot of it got cut and it should have gotten cut. And it's a good thing it got cut. And I think the story flows much stronger for it. My advice to fellow writers are is is to find an editor that you trust and stick with them and trust that they are saving you from yourself. And it's important that you trust them because there are bad writer, there are well, not bad editors, but there are bad editor writer relationships out there. But if you both believe that you are working, I'm sorry, my cat's auto feeder went off. If you both believe that you and your editor are working towards the same ultimate goal, you can trust them and know that they have your back and know that they're going to make your work a lot stronger. Um, it's weird. Writing a book is a very solo private thing it's just you and your computer and then all of a sudden it becomes this group project and it's hard not to feel defensive of your work but if you're working with people who you trust and you guys know you're all working towards the same goal then you appreciate the team you're like thank god you were there to cut that paragraph because I do sound like a moron in there I don't know what I was smoking <laughs> that night Whew, you know um yeah, I guess the, my advice to fellow writers is is get good editors and good beta readers and trust them and love them. And and if you don't trust them and love them, find different ones until you do. Yeah. That is so true. One, um, so I edit, right? So I'm an editor, but I also write. But I do these two things in two very different spheres. Um, I don't cross. I don't cross the streams. Um, right. <laughs> But as a writer, I have had great, like, beta readers and real bad ones. And the bad ones will try to speak through you. And that feels very violating, right? Uh, It does. You're like, like, that's not cool. But I was actually just having a conversation with a, um, a writer a friend of mine, um, Elise Arden. She's based in New Orleans. And I was talking to her about this book that I've been writing for two or three years. And I'm kind of ready to release it out into the world. But the one editor I trust, like I've trusted for all these years within that sphere, um, like left the work like her work, like she's no longer doing it anymore. And I've had this book just sitting because I'm, I, oh. I can't, I'm like, I don't know who to trust any, like, I, you know, it's, um, I obviously don't begrudge her because she had to do what she had to do. But now I just feel like me and my little book are just abandoned on an Island. And I'm like, I don't know who, who I trust. and I don't know who, but so you're right. Like those relationships are so important. And it's and it's just funny. I was just having this conversation with somebody, so it's so funny that you're saying yeah. that. Um, but it's well, and there's it's there's hard. an art. There is an art to giving critique too. I mean, I I think that's why it's hard to be a beta reader. It's like a thankless task, and you have to be thoughtful about it. You can't just say I don't like this or speak through someone. You have to like see and honor what the author was trying to do, and then suggest or nudge, or question, or ask them to consider. Um, that's what I think good critique is. But that's that's actually hard to do. Like, it's really, being giving good critique is a mentally exhausting exercise. <laughs> it actually really is. Not everybody it wants is. to do it. Yeah. It's hard. And then you are defensive, you know. And, like, I, so I tend to give, like, a, an entire page of disclaimer. 
with my edits because I'm like, I know you're going to feel sensitive. I know this doesn't feel good. I know this sucks. Mm -hmm. I was like, read it. Don't respond. Wait two days. Come back to it. And because very often you're like, that was such a mean note. And then like two days later, you're like, that wasn't mean at all. That was actually incredibly helpful. Yeah. I was just sensitive. Yeah. It's so hard not to feel defensive. I mean, I still do it. I, it is one of those things. It's like exposure therapy. It does get easier with time, but some t- I definitely will still get a critique from a beta reader, an author who I respect so much. And I'll be like, well, you just didn't read it and you don't understand. You just don't even <laughs> get, get it. trying to do here. And then you go back two days later and you're like, fuck, she's right. She's completely right. This is just, I just need to, I just need to change this. Okay. Never mind. Never mind. I will say, <laughs> yeah. what I think is like the key to that, I think I discovered the secret to being a good helper, whether you're beta reading or you're editing and what, you know, developmental, whatever, is when you point out the issue, I always give an action item. I'm always like, and here's how we can fix it. And here's what you can do. And here's an exercise we can do to like fluff this out. So, because I'm very blunt, I'm not a great sugar coder. I thought, you know, so my notes will be so blunt, but I'm like, I gotta, I hope this action item (laughs) makes them feel supported. Yeah, I I think that's a good call. And my 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 editor on this book, she was it was Ronnie Alvarado at Simon Element and she was something I noticed she was doing in this manuscript. I mean, this book is strong because she was its editor. Um and I'm happy to give her credit for that. I think she's one of the hardest mm-hmm. working people in publishing and I hope I get to work with her again if she's listening. Ronnie, I love you. Um but <laughs> In her edits, she would cut things, but 90% of her comments ended in a question. They just ended in a question. And they weren't, it wasn't a mean question. It was like, can you go further here? Or when you say this, do you mean this or this? And can you clarify that? It, she was asking me to just go deeper. So I felt very honored and like she was trying to get what I was doing. And also, it made the book so, so, so much better. I, I She should give a seminar in how to give critique. I think she's a genius at it. Yeah. So is there anything uh, that we didn't cover that you kind of wanted to touch on before uh, we leave? I don't think so. Um, it's I am really, really curious what people think of the book. I mean, I, I, I wrote this book in an attempt to be a bridge between agnostics and curious atheists about people who were curious about mainstream witchcraft, but were really afraid to dip their toes in. Um, I know a lot of witches who also really like it. And they, they have told me that they relate to parts of it, not all of it, of course, but parts of it. And those, those letters make my day. Um, So if you happen to read this book and you have a strong feeling, good, bad, or ugly. I would, I would love to have a conversation with you about it. I, I, I am not currently being slammed or anything. I like talking to people about this stuff. And if this is personal to you, I, I think the conversation on mainstream witchcraft is evolving, and I, I love talking about it. And I would love to hear what you think. Yeah. I will say, um, I, I mean, we, we just talked about it, but. I, this whole past hour and a half, we've talked about it, but I will say (laughs) I really liked your book. I know you said that you kind of maybe received a little whatever, which like, whatever, you you just can't worry about that. But I, um, I really felt it was authentic. I really felt you 
the fact that I recognize every point of your journey from start to end, and I've had that evolution myself over a decade, 15 years, tells me that you didn't go into this uh, haphazardly. Like you went into it fully, authentically, and you went into it to do the hard work. And you can see that in uh, in the journey. I mean, the fact that you experience something in a year that a lot of us take again, a decade to get through, like you really did the thing, you know? And I just want to give you so much claps or snaps or, you know, for that, because it doesn't feel like you were just pumping out a project. You know what I mean? Like you really did it. And I think that I, I think it's great. And I think it's a very authentic view of what it looks like to explore witchcraft. Man, I'm blushing over here now. Thank you. That that really means that means a tremendous amount to me. Thank, like seriously, thank you. You've made my day. Thank you. Thank you so much Tried. for coming on the show. Uh, we so that was really cool. Like I just mentioned, I was like, oh my gosh, I would love to interview her. And then I get an email. Yeah, from Ju- uh, my my friend Judith, who I used to dance with, who knew of your. She's the one. She put this together. Uh, Judith, if you're listening, thank you. <laughs> you're the matchmaker here. Thank you so much. Yes, she was like, yeah. oh, she's my friend. I'm like, well, let's go. <laughs> yeah, that was that was that was just total serendipity, to be honest. Well, it was Judith, but you know, <laughs> Judith acting <laughs> with serendipity. Yeah. So, where can people find you if if they want to kind of continue watching your journey? Yeah, um, I'm on TikTok and Instagram and less so on Twitter, but I do exist there. Um, I'm also, uh, I have a blog. You can sign up to read my occasional tiny little posts about random things. Um, I'm, I'm, my handle is typically definitely not lost or def not lost. But if you just punch Diana Helmuth into Instagram or TikTok or Twitter, I should pop right up. There's, I think, only two of us in the United States, and the other one's not really on social media. Um, <laughs> luckily, luck, luckily for me, um, I am going to be visiting New Orleans. I normally am in on the West Coast, but I'm going to be visiting New Orleans on March 21st, 2024, with an event at Blue Cypress Books. So if you are in New Orleans or nearby and you want to come out on March 21st, that'd be lovely. Um, DianaHelmuth.com is where you can find all my stuff. witches. We hope you have a wonderful day full of joy and gentleness and confidence. Links for this week's episodes, our website, Patreon, along with a free daily card pull can be found at witchpod.com. One stop for everything we talk about. Now, take one more deep breath and have a great day.